1 Kings 18 and verse 30, shout amen. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar. You want to underline that right there. And he repaired the altar of Jehovah that was thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of Jehovah came, saying, Israel shall be my name. And with the stones he built an altar. And in the name of Jehovah... And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and poured it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And it filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening oblation that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, watch this now, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. And that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Jehovah, hear me, that this people may know that thou, Jehovah, art God. And that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire, somebody shout fire. fire. Then the fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it because what God's getting ready to do people are going to see it and when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said Jehovah he is God Jehovah he is God Woo. My God, I want to talk to you for a little while under the subject, alter your life. Alter your life. And if you're doing a little spell check up here, I meant to spell it that way. Because we're going to talk about the altar. Alter your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we worship you and magnify you. We give you glory. We thank you for waking us up this morning. And allowing us the privilege to lift up holy hands in your presence. And now, God, have your way in this place. As I hide behind the cross, Lord God, use these lips of clay to minister right now word. Hallelujah. May it land on the altars of your people's hearts. Consume it, God. Set somebody on fire today. And I thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. I don't have a, a whole lot of time to, to, to paint the backdrop of what's transpiring here. Uh, just know that the people are in a famine. The people are in a famine, hallelujah. 
uh, part of the reason that this famine has taken place is because the people of God have turned from him and have uh, put up idols in their lives and have worshipped, hallelujah, other gods. Amen. They're in a famine, but God is up to something. God, he's always up to something. So, so watch this. God is up to something. You know, one of the things that I've learned, uh, and I hope that you're learning as you grow in Christ, is that uh, you ought not live by your feelings. You ought not live by your feelings. Amen? Because here's what I found out. I found out that sometimes what hurts actually helps. That sometimes what's hurting is actually helping. You see, but when you live by feelings, hallelujah, everything that's hurting is negative. Are you following what I'm saying? But God has a funny way of turning things that even the enemy meant for evil and using it for his good. So there have been times in my life where what hurt actually helped. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? You know, um, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I was uh, reading something the other day and I, and I found out, this food for thought, I found out that... Uh, there is a, 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 a process when, when somebody is actually really cold or freezing. And I'm not talking about just being out in cold weather. I'm talking about freezing, like freezing to death. There is, there is a point during that process where that is happening to somebody where your body goes numb. And your body actually goes numb. And it is at this place where your body goes numb that you can't feel a thing. You begin to close your eyes. And you're ready to just give up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you're ready to just go to sleep. Uh, are you hearing me? And then what happens is if somebody comes along and applies heat and gets your blood pumping and your blood begins to circulate again, the first thing you experience at that point is pain. I said the first thing that you, been, you begin to experience at that point is pain. And the pain is an indication that a rescue is taking place. I said the pain is an indication that there is actually a rescue that is taking place. And though it hurts, it's curing you. Though it hurts, it is actually healing you. So watch this. These people, these people, hallelujah, in this particular setting are in a famine because spiritually they are freezing. I said they are spiritually cold. So cold that they become numb. They're at that place where they're so numb they want to stay that way. There is a place that you can get to. God, help me in here. Uh, away from God where you become so cold you get numb. And somebody could probably testify because it's by the grace of God you're here. And if it was not for God who applied some heat, come on somebody, who applied some heat, hallelujah, and actually came to rescue you, you would have stood there. Can somebody give God some praise in here? So watch this. It's amazing, hallelujah, because the prophet is applying the heat because he wants to help them come out of coldness. Are you following me? But they don't like it. They want to stay where they are, and they're actually, watch this, blaming or accusing him for the pain. Have you ever tried to help somebody and it just backfires on you? Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? And so that's what's happening in this particular story. Amen, hallelujah. So watch this. He comes to the people and he, he makes this statement, this powerful statement. He says, how long will you waver? How long will you fall between two desires how, or two 
opinions. And he basically says, and this is a challenge, hallelujah. I, I, I need you to let me be pastoral today. Uh, and, and this is a challenge. And he says, if God be God, serve him. But if Baal, the false god, is God, then serve him. In other words, he's saying, don't straddle the fence. It is the reason you're in a dry place right now. Straddle the fence. It's, it's, it's like, let me give you a simple illustration. It's like the little bird that doesn't know where to lay her nest. And so what she does is that she hops from branch to branch to branch to branch to branch to branch, could never really make up her mind, so all she does is hop around. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Oh, God have mercy. It's like the individual, watch this, who shifts his weight from one leg to the other, indicating a degree of lameness. It is like the person who is teetering on a tightrope, uh, moving this way and then moving this way trying to balance their life, knowing that it is very difficult. Amen, somebody. Wherever you see indecision, you'll find the uncommitted. I said, wherever you see indecision, you will always find the uncommitted because people who cannot make up their minds are people who have a hard time committing to anything. You know, do, you, do you know that we live in the most least committed generation that has ever lived? Least committed. There isn't any loyalty anymore. People, people's, you look at somebody's resume, if they worked at a place for a year, it's a lot. Today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Less committed to, every, less committed to jobs. Less committed to marriages, less committed to church. Come on, somebody. Less committed. Hallelujah. It's like the individual, for those of you, I don't know if, you, if anybody in here goes fishing or owns a boat, happens to own a boat, hallelujah. But you go to, you go to, the, to the dock, hallelujah, and you untie, you untie that boat. Um, and let's just say that you got one foot in the boat and you got one foot on the dock. And immediately that boat starts to drift because it's untied. You're going to have to make a decision real quick. You're either going to get on the boat or you're going to get on the dock. But if you hesitate, you in the lake. Are you in this place, church? So, you know, I said that to say that, that wavering between decisions. So let me put it to you another way. Indecision is a decision that usually leads to disaster. I said indecision is a decision that usually leads to disaster. Are you in this place, church? The Bible talks about an altar. Watch this. And what I like about the story is that it's not a brand new altar that's being built. It's actually an altar that existed but was in disuse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was in disuse. The Bible says that it was broken down. And I begin to wonder why it was broken down. Hallelujah. But how many of you in here know that you don't necessarily have to mistreat something in order for it to begin to deteriorate. You don't have to directly mistreat it. In other words, you don't have to necessarily kick that thing or hit it with something in order for it to begin to deteriorate. All you have to do is neglect it. All you have to do, some people underestimate the power of neglect, hallelujah. But if you neglect a thing long enough, that thing will begin to deteriorate. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, for all of you who own homes in here, you know that if you just decided one day, I ain't going to clean no more. I'm just not going to do it. Something's going to happen to that house. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's going to fall apart because of neglect. Amen? You neglect your kids. And they're going to run right wayward. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You neglect your spouse. You neglect that marriage. You can't assume, hallelujah, that it's going to run on autopilot. Come on, somebody. Amen? It'll begin to fall apart. This is what these people did. They begin to neglect worship. And the thing about that is simply this. When you neglect worship, you deteriorate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about the thing now. When you neglect worship, you deteriorate. Because worship is an atmosphere God created for you to live in so you can thrive. And everything that God has ever created, hallelujah, he also made an atmosphere in order for it to thrive. And so watch this, hallelujah. Uh, you, you without worship is like a, a bird out of the sky. You take the bird out of the air and immediately the bird is in jeopardy. Immediately the bird becomes uh, something uh, that a predator would go after. It cannot thrive on the ground because it was not built for the ground. It was built for the air. In the air it thrives. You take a fish out of the water and immediately the death process begins. It begins to deteriorate. It can't live out of that atmosphere. It cannot thrive. Put it back in that water and it begins to thrive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Take a seed or take a, take a plant out of the soil and the death process kicks in and that plant immediately begins to die because in order for it to thrive it has to be in its right environment it has to be in its element if you put a seed in your hand and you leave it there all it is is potential concealed that's all it is potential concealed in order for it to become potential revealed it has to find its atmosphere it has to be sowed into the ground, and then eventually what's inside of it will come forth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God created an atmosphere for us to thrive. It's his presence. It's his presence. It's his house. It's among his people. Hallelujah. That's your environment. You thrive in that environment. You move away from that environment. Stay away from that environment long enough and neglect it, you begin to deteriorate. Do I got anybody in here that could testify and say, I know that's right. Hallelujah. One of the things that I, that I love about this particular story, some of you are familiar with this story. I'm not going to get into the showdown as much as I'm going to talk to you about the altar today. Amen. But there's a showdown on this mountain. Uh, the, the, the prophet Elijah says, you listen, uh, King Ahab, who was the evil king at that day, he said, get all your false prophet, all 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets of, of some other guy named Asherah. Get them all up on the mountain and tell them to meet me there because today we're going to find out who the real God is. And you're going to call on God and I'm going to call on God. And the God that answers by fire, he is the real God. And so these individuals say, all right, let's go. They had all the advantage because you're talking about 850 false prophets all together against one man. And that one man goes up there by himself and he ain't even scared. How many of you in here know that one plus God is a majority? I said one plus God is a majority. Hallelujah. That's why I don't get intimidated if nobody else wants to praise him. I learned a long time ago, if I've got to praise him by myself, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continuously be in my mouth. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. So watch this. Here's the thing that interests me. To make a long story short, they get up there, hallelujah, and the prophet, you know, he's very polite. He just says, you guys go first. Call on your God. And they get to calling on their God. And they, they build an altar. And they put a sacrifice on the altar. And this goes on, watch this now, from morning to evening. From morning to evening. They're calling on their gods. They're being loud. They're, they're, they're really calling on them. While they're calling on him, read the story for yourself. The prophet starts mocking them. Because, you know, hours have gone by. And so the prophet says things like, maybe he's asleep. Call him louder. You know, and, and, and so you know what they do? They call them louder. And, and they take it to the extremes. They've already laid a, a sacrifice on the altar. The blood is spilling all over the altar. On top of that, they start cutting themselves and mixing their blood with the blood that's already on the altar. And they're calling, it's a mess. And they're calling on their God. And there ain't no answer. And there ain't no sound. And their calling is in vain. And I begin to ask myself, you know, that's interesting because I happen to know that Satan does have some power. I don't want want anybody to get it twisted in here. Darkness does have power. If it didn't have power, the world wouldn't be in the shape that it's in right now. So the question is, why isn't darkness's power manifesting here? Because I would think that if Satan heard all them people calling him, he would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go manifest myself right now. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because he can't. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, let me just give you some, some quick examples of the power of darkness. So you know, uh, how many of you remember when Moses goes into uh, Egypt and tells Pharaoh, hey, God said, let my people go. Right? Pharaoh said, no. And so Moses took his staff, threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Immediately, Pharaoh was not impressed. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have impressed me. You take a dead stick, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. I'm like, let the people go. <laughs> let them go now. You understand what I'm saying? Um, but Pharaoh's not impressed. Pharaoh's not impressed. Pharaoh, Pharaoh just calls his sorcerers, and they come with two staffs. And they throw their two staffs on the ground. And you know what happens? They become serpents. So listen to what I'm telling you. Darkness has power, but it is limited. Because if you know the rest of that story, Moses is one snake ate the other two snakes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So obviously when you read your Bible, you're going to see sorcerers. You're going to see people operating in divination and all kinds of uh, witches and and stuff like that, doing tricks. Um, You'll see it in scripture, amen? God, as a matter of fact, tells you not to associate with those kinds of people, amen? And so watch this. So why isn't that kind of power, that black magic, those witches, whatever it is, manifesting in this particular place where they are where it should be happening with, with, with as many as false prophets are calling on the false god Baal which by the way happens to be to them the rain god they're in a drought and he's the rain god and he can't make it rain so why so watch this I begin to ask myself why isn't the devil manifesting and I heard the Lord tell me in my spirit hallelujah it's because my character is at stake it's because my character's at stake. Because today, we're up on this mountain to determine who the real God is. And because my character is at stake, Satan doesn't have the permission to talk. You hear what I'm saying? Because my character is at stake, the underworld has no right 
to speak today. See, but here's what you got to understand, because many people make the mistake to assume uh, the underworld is as powerful as God. And we fall into what most scholars refer to as dualism, where we, where we think it's God against Satan, and they're on equal platforms going at each other. If that was the case, all hell would be throwing everything they had right now. But all of hell is shut up. Because God's character is at stake. So watch this. They don't have permission to speak because hell can't do nothing without permission. Somebody better catch this in here. Hallelujah. Satan tried to attack Job on one occasion. Hallelujah. And then goes to God and says, I tried to attack Job, but I couldn't because you have him hedged in. You have him hedged. You have him fortified. I, I went to attack him and I ran into his force field. You got this, this thing around him. Uh, <laughs> see, some of, you, some of you need to thank God right now that you're hedged in. See, you, you ain't get here because you're so good. You didn't get here because you're that spiritual either. You're here because of the hedge. Hallelujah. God, help me in here. But watch this. Satan accused Job of serving God for stuff. Now, that's a heavy accusation. Because what he's saying is nobody serves you genuinely. There's got to be something in it for them. So Job serves you for stuff. And as long as you keep giving him stuff and you keep blessing him, he's going to serve you. But if you let me touch his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, all right, touch his stuff, but don't touch his soul. So watch this. I'll give you permission to touch his stuff, but you have limited power <laughs> you can't touch his soul are you hearing what all right that's old testament let me give you new testament for the person that's thinking that's old testament give me some new time i'll give you some new testament watch this peter comes uh jesus comes up to peter on one occasion and says peter satan has asked because he gotta ask satan has asked to sift you as wheat and so do you do you understand what i'm talking about he had to ask. He can't just run around and do whatever he wants to whoever he wants, when he wants, because some of us are hedged in. Oh, God have mercy in this place. Hallelujah. And so I love this particular story because what the prophet does is, watch this, he tells everybody to come near. So these guys are done. They called on their God. It's the evening time now. And the prophet says, all right, it's my turn now. Everybody come near. Everybody come near because you're going to want to see this. And I like that because in essence, what he's letting us know is that what God is getting ready to do, he's going to have some eyewitnesses and some ear witnesses. In other words, what God's getting ready to do, watch this, he's going to do it publicly. What God's getting ready, I believe wholeheartedly that we're going to enter a season, hallelujah, where God is going to expose the unlimited weak power of the underworld and he's going to do it publicly by releasing fire from heaven god help me in this place if you believe it shout glory in here Woo. another thing i love about this particular story is that we already said that it was an altar that was used it was an altar that at once was being used but now was in disuse and i just love because it just talks to me about the character of god you know we can talk about the altar being your heart hallelujah to personalize it but what i like about this particular text is that just because it was used and now it's broken down doesn't mean i can't use it again in other words god is into revival 
In order to revive something, it had to have life at a previous occasion. And if it had life at a previous occasion and then it died, I can revive it. That is what revival is, is to make it live again. And what I love and what I believe God is getting ready to do in this season, watch this, is call people who are in disuse right now, who used to be in use, and start using them again. God, help me in here. Hallelujah. Do you believe it in here? Hallelujah. Another thing I love about this text is that God lets me know through this text that revival is the product of repairing. No repair, no revival. That fire does not come down until that altar is repaired. So my question to you today is how's your altar? And does your altar need fixing? Because in order for the fire to fall, when he called on God, he had to first prepare. You know, I know we like to call on God and we're believing God for a lot of things. But my question to you is, are you preparing for what you're believing for? Mm, I'm going to talk to you some more about that in just a moment. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. glory. Let me give you a verse, hallelujah, that perhaps you're not familiar with. Hosea chapter 10. And verse number 12, hallelujah. If you got to put it up on the screen, I'm just going to quote it for the sake of time. Hosea 10 and 12 says this, watch this. Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Woo. Till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Let me read it one more time. Sow to yourself, watch this, you fix it. Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. My God, break up the fallow ground. Do you know what fallow ground is? Fallow ground is ground that used to be fruitful. It's ground that used to be fruitful, watch this, but now it has been plowed over and no seed has been sown on it. And so because of that, now it is unfruitful. And so God says, break it. Break the fallow ground, hallelujah, so that you can be fruitful again. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Wow. Notice, watch this, that there's a human emphasis here. He's challenging the man to do the breaking. You break it. You fix that altar. God's responsible for the fire. You're responsible for fixing that altar. God, help me in this. Psalm 85 and 6 says, would thou not revive us again? Ooh, won't he do it? Won't he revive us again? Watch this. Would thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? If there is a lack of life, it is because there is a lack of joy. A sign that you are alive is your joy. To revive presupposes life. And if you're alive, you're joyful. But if you ain't got no joy, check your life. God, help me in this place. Listen, it's like the individual. How many of you have ever been to a beach? I've seen this on several occasions. Very scary thing. You've been to the beach, all of a sudden the, the lifeguards blow the whistles. All of a sudden you start seeing men just running in the water. And they 
come out of the water carrying a man or a woman or a, or a young child. And then next thing you know, they don't even get too far. They, they put the child down and get to work on the child. The, the child usually by that time has swallowed so much water, they're not even breathing anymore. It's almost as though they were dead and they're turning colors. You know what I'm talking about? But watch this. Then, then the individual starts working on them. And after working on them for a little while, they come alive again. And, and I want to submit to you, hallelujah, that that's what the Lord does when we're talking about revival. It is an individual, hallelujah, who once had life, but now, hallelujah, because of circumstances, situations, or whatever it is that happened, hallelujah, they find themselves broken down, disused, hallelujah, come on somebody, and then the Lord repairs them and brings them back to life. Do I got anybody in here that can testify? That's my story. I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So watch this. When we're talking about revival, we're talking about revitalizing. We're talking about recovering energy that was lost. We're talking about getting your strength back. Uh, restoring lost power. Amen, somebody. Anybody in here could use a recharge? Don't act cute on a Sunday in the presence of the Lord, hallelujah, I could use a recharge myself. <laughs> hallelujah. So watch this. Uh, rather than focusing on the showdown, I want to focus on this altar. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about the specific things that he did. The specific uh, tools, steps that he took before he called on the Lord and before that fire fell. Because I believe they're necessary if that fire is going to fall in this house, in this season, on your life, in your house. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So can we talk about it? All right, the first thing that he did, according to the scripture that we read, is that he took 12 stones. He took 12 stones, and he started building the altar with those 12 stones. Now, I want to submit to you that the number 12 is very important. Uh, when we're talking about spiritually speaking, in the Bible, numbers are Symbolic. I mean, if I was just going to focus on the number 12, the number 12 speaks about governments. Uh, it speaks about government. Uh, the number 12, the scripture says, speaks about the 12 tribes of Israel. Amen. This is how God established Israel. Amen. Through these 12 tribes. When you look at the New Testament, you see 12 founding apostles. Amen. Or the foundational apostles upon which God begins to build his church. Are you following me? So, so 12 is a number of government. It is a number of order. It is a number of leadership. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. But watch this. I want to talk to you a little bit about the stones as well because stones in the Bible is significant too. And so when he puts 12 stones on the ground, one of the first things, he's preaching by illustration. Let me just throw that out there. He's preaching by illustration, hallelujah, because I don't know if you know what's happening here at this particular time in the Bible, but the nation of Israel is divided. And so you have 10 tribes on one side and two tribes on the other side. 10 tribes making up Israel and two tribes making up Judah. And But God comes through the prophet and puts all 12 tribes together as to say, my people, Israel, are supposed to be one. So in other words, hallelujah, part of the reason that you're in a dry place is because you are divided. It is because of a lack of unity that you are in the situation that you are in, hallelujah. When God views us, he views us as one. That's why the Bible, the Bible refers to us as the body, singular, of Christ. 
Are you in this place? There is disunity and it needs to be repaired. Watch this, when we're talking about stones, hallelujah, understand that stones are also significant of watch, strength, resiliency in a person's character. Strength and resiliency in a person's character. Are you following me? This is why God comes to a man named Cephas and says, your name is going to be called Peter. Cephas means pebble. Peter means rock. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right now, you're shaky. Right now, you're unstable. But when I finish with you, you're going to be solid as a rock. When, when, when I finish with you, you're going to have a character that is resolute. When I finish with you, you're going to have a conviction that is steady. When I finish with you, hallelujah, you're going to be so solid, compromise ain't going to be an issue for you. God, help me in here. Notice, hallelujah, that before, before Christ resurrects, Peter is as unstable as water. Unstable as water. What does that mean? Water is so unstable that whatever you put it in, it takes the shape of whatever you put it in. And that's how many people are. I ain't getting out one amen right there, but that's how I know I'm preaching real good right now. We become blenders. We get into a situation and we just blend. And rather than influencing the situation, the situation influences you. Last time I checked, my Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a woman who took yeast and put it in dough. Watch this. And leavened the whole lump. In other words, the yeast got in the dough. The yeast is the church. The dough is the world. The church gets in the world and influences all the world. The world don't get in the church and influence the church. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. How's your character? How's your character? Amen, somebody. He said, you're going to be called Peter, which is rock. And after Jesus resurrected, hallelujah, and blew his spirit on Peter, he was never the same again. He went from shaky to solid. Amen, somebody. At some point, the transition has to take place. Are you blessed in here? Watch this. You, you think about stones, hallelujah. Watch this. Uh, how many of you remember when the people of God crossed the Jordan? When the people crossed the Jordan, uh, Joshua did something very interesting. He took 12 stones and he put them in two places. One in the middle of the Jordan, one at the beginning of the Jordan. Watch this. And he put them there, watch this, as a memorial for those that were coming after them to see. God, help me in this place. Hallelujah. Watch this. Watch this. What was it, what was it that those stones represented? They were a witness that the case was true. They were a witness that the case was true. In other words, watch this. Here is the challenge, church. We are not supposed to just live for ourselves. We're supposed to be thinking about the generations to come. We should be building and planning according to, watch this, the future as well. This is very hard for some leaders because some leaders are preference-minded. And they can't lose their own preference for the sake of reaching another generation. God, help me in here. And so watch this. He said, lay these stones down. Leave them as a witness that the case was true. What case was true? That the Jordan opened up. And we walked through on dry ground. Watch this. Leave a monument there. Build something 
that's bigger than you, that will outlast you so that when you're gone, the next generation has a witness. They can see something, hallelujah, that you left behind for them and they can look at it and say, if he did it for my daddy, he can do it for me. Are you hearing what, oh, are you hearing what I'm saying in here? It's about legacy, which is part of the vision of this church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So watch this. We're talking about a witness so they can see that the case was true. So stones also speak of truth. Amen. Strong, solid truth. Are you hearing me? Watch this. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Israel going into war and God assisting them. Now, I would have loved to have seen this, but Joshua's fighting in Joshua chapter 10 in the place called Gibeon, right? And, which actually means high place, by the way. So, so, so they're fighting and God starts hurling, according to the Bible, great hailstones from heaven. And more people died by the hailstones than by the hand of Joshua. Now, I think that, yeah, you think that it's your spirituality and your talent and your gifting that has gotten you this far. Let me help you in here. God has been more involved than you think. And it is because of God that you are here and not you yourselves. And some of us just need to take a break because Joshua sometimes, you know, you're so busy fighting, you don't see the assistance. But somebody needs to praise God for help that came that you didn't see. He's helping me. He's helping me. I ain't that good. He's helping me. Hallelujah. So watch this. When we're talking about hailstones, we're also talking about truth. Watch this. Sometimes God has to release hard truths. <laughs> I said he has to release hard truths. Amen. Hallelujah. You ever heard the term, the truth hurts? <laughs> Sometimes it does, but it's good for you. I said, it's good for you. Uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend because a real friend will tell you the truth. Amen, somebody? Glory to God. These particular stones, when God asked them to build an altar in Scripture, he would be specific and say, use whole stones. Don't use stones that have been hit with iron. In other words, because if man has anything to do with it, then it's going to be real difficult for me to use it. Because the moment man puts his hands on it, he defects it. So when it came to the temple, especially the building of the temple, he said, don't use stones that have been hewed in by iron. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Use whole stones. This is why God is in the business of making you whole before he really starts using you in a powerful way. God, help me in here. Are you blessed? Amen. You are supposed to be living stones. The same way he called Peter a stone, you're supposed to be a living stone. Your God is a stone. My God is a rock. He's my rock. And he's my salvation. The Bible refers to him, watch this, as the stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. Psalms 118. And verse number 22, when David got ready to take out a giant, you know what he did it with? He did it with a stone. Amen. Hallelujah. The truth shall prevail. Listen, the world tried to kill the truth once. <laughs> and it didn't work. And the truth ain't going down no more. 
God, help me in here. Because the truth, watch this, is Jesus. And he is the chief cornerstone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're not going to go wrong with the truth. Amen? If you're blessed in here, shout glory. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Saints, hallelujah. Watch this. Do you know that the Bible talks, let me, you probably knew some of the stuff I just said, but for the scholar in the room, you know that the Bible also talks about a white stone? The book of Revelation says, watch this, to him who is victorious, I will give, watch this, of my hidden manna. That means God has stuff up his sleeves that he has not revealed. It's not that it's not there, he just hasn't pulled the curtain on it. It's just that he hasn't shined the light on it. Amen. But for him that is victorious, he said, I will give from my hidden manna. And then he said, and I will give him, watch this, let me read it, because some of you are looking at me funny right now. Watch this. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And listen, scholars today are perplexed trying to really understand the, the, the chronological uh, time frame of this kind of blessing. Is this something that's going to happen all the way at the end? Is this something that's happening to us now? And so watch this. They conclude that it's somewhat of a mystery. There's explanations for it, but nobody has really been able to, to pinpoint it. Amen? Some have said that it, it, it could be indicative of the, the high priest. I don't know if you remember in the Old Testament, the high priest, when he went into the temple, he wore this outfit. On that outfit, he had a breastplate. On that breastplate, he had 12, 12 stones. There we go again. 12 stones, right? Each stone had the name of one of the tribes of Israel. So when the high priest would go into the temple and minister, he went in to minister bearing the names of his people in God's presence. And so some say that this stone has everything to do with our standing in the presence of God. At the same time, somebody said, hallelujah, according to, to ancient Greek, uh, mannerisms or customs they used to take watch this when it came to uh court issues or judgment issues they would have a white stone and a black stone and when it came to an acquittal they would throw the white stone and when it came to a judgment they would throw the black stone and some uh, scholars determined that because of the blood of jesus we have been acquitted and that's why we get the white stone are you hearing what i'm saying Either way, hallelujah, I want that white stone. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> because the Bible says, hallelujah, that it will bear a new name. And it will also come, hallelujah, with manna that is hidden. And I don't know about you, but I'm just hungry like that. Amen? Hallelujah. Twelve stones, and he starts repairing. Repairing. We're talking about, we're talking about character. We're talking about unity. Are you hearing me, church? Let me give you the next one. The next one is the trench. The trench is the place of overflow and fullness. The trench is the place of overflow and fullness. You only, watch this, excavate a trench when you're expecting it to get full of something. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. In other words, you, 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 you excavate the trench for what you believe is coming. You, you excavate the trench, watch this, for what it can hold. He said, listen, excavate it so that it can at least hold a certain measure. Amen? And so let me ask you a question in here. 
Are you preparing for what you're believing God for? I ain't ask you if you got dreams. I know most of you got dreams. My question is, what have you done to get ready for it? I ain't ask you if you got plans. I know you got plans. I'm talking about prep. What have you done to prepare for your vision, for what you're believing God for? You, you, you just don't say, I'm believing God for this, and then you sit down and wait for it to happen. Let me help you in here. Not going to happen. You have to prepare for what you believe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My God, help me in here. I've already learned, hallelujah, not even to come to God in prayer for stuff I ain't ready for. God, I want this, and God sent me this, and God, God said, I'd love to. But if I send it right now, you can't hold it, and I'm not wasteful. I'm not wasteful like that, hallelujah. I'll send it, but you got to hold it when I send it, because if you can't hold it, I look bad. Look at somebody real quick and say, get ready. You need to get ready. Hallelujah. <laughs> One does not measure a ditch by a superficial space which covers, watch this, but according to its capacity for holding. Do you not know that even in the military they use trenches, watch this, as an act of defense? Oh, God, have mercy in here. Watch this, to interrupt the approach of the enemy. A trench interrupts the approach of the enemy. A trench basically tells the enemy here and no further. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Mm. God's looking for the trench. The trench usually, watch this, consists of disciplines that you are practicing in your life that are helping you to expand your capacity to hold more. God, help me in here. Are you blessed in here? Oh, God. Listen, on one occasion, God told the people of God in another story, watch this, make this valley full of ditches because I'm getting ready to same rain. And the people were looking up. <laughs> they were looking up, watch this, and God talked to them again and said, you're not going to see clouds and you're not even going to see rain falling down, but I'm going to make the valley full of water. Dig. And so the question is, are you going to be led by what you see? Because the sun is out and it doesn't look like it's going to rain? Or you going to believe God at his word? They made the valley full of ditches. Watch this. And the water just begin to... <laughs> God, help me in here. In other words, every ditch they made, he filled. You didn't get it. Every ditch they made... Let me give you another example. That, that widow woman that Elder Rich was talking about a little while ago, watch this. The challenge, watch this. She was in debt. They were coming to take her sons away so they can work to pay off the debt. Watch this. The prophet told her, what do you have in your house? What Richie didn't get into because he didn't have time, of course, was simply this. The prophet told her, borrow as many vessels as you can. Borrow not a few. Borrow all the vessels you can. Because right now, here's what he's really saying. Right now, you don't have room enough. For what I'm about to release in this place. And since I'm not wasteful, if you don't make room for it, it cannot come. So we're always wondering about why God ain't doing it, why God ain't sending it, why God ain't. It's because you're not ready. It's because you're not preparing. Expand your capacity. Are you in this place, church? The Bible says, watch this, every vessel got full. The little flask of oil did not stop flowing. Vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel. Watch this. 
and the the oil stayed when there were no more vessels. So why did it stop? Not because God's limited, but because we stopped making room. You don't hear me. You don't hear me. If they keep bringing vessels, the oil keeps flowing. And if you keep making room, he keeps filling. He's not lacking in any area. God, help me in this place. Hallelujah. It's not his fault. Are you in this place, church? When we're talking about digging or or, or excavating a trench, what are we talking about? We're talking about getting the out. Getting the dirt. I want to release it, but it's still a little too much dirt. I ain't getting no amens right there. Hallelujah. I want to release it, but you got to dig a little deeper. Because what I want to release is deeper than what you dug out. (laughs) You, You build me a little trench, but it's not deep enough. I hear God telling somebody in this place, I have more for you. God, help me in here. I have more for you. Hallelujah. Dig a little deeper so that I can release what I have for you. Oh, my God. Somebody shout, I receive it. Woo, God, have mercy in here. We got to get the dirt out. Get the dirt out. Stop feeding Satan. Oh, they're looking at me like, what is it? Stop feeding Satan. Let me help you understand that. How many of you remember what happened in the garden? Why? Uh, Adam and Eve, they ate, and all of a sudden the blame game begun. God came to Adam, husbands, because he's always going to come to you first. Let me, not, let me not open this up. You're called the priest in your home for a reason, because you're responsible for everybody in that house. When you're the leader, you lead the whole house. That means you serve everybody under you. Anyhow, so watch this. When sin entered the garden, God didn't say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? And you know what Adam said? The woman you gave me. She made me eat and I ate. You know what he's doing? He's blaming God. He said, the woman you gave me. He didn't just say the woman. He said, the woman. (laughs) He said, you gave me that woman. The woman you gave me, she made me eat. And and then God looked at Eve and Eve said, the devil made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so the devil had nobody to turn to. He had nobody to turn to. So watch what God told him. From henceforth, you shall slither on your belly. Now I want you to think about that for a second. That was his punishment, which means he didn't always slither on his belly. I can't get into that. But watch this. That wasn't, we always stop right there. That's not the only thing. Then he told him, and you shall eat the dust of the ground. Now, we were made from the dust of the ground. The doctors today will tell you, they don't even have to believe, they'll tell you, you're still about 15% dirt. The dirt represents the flesh. And Satan feeds off flesh. So stop feeding him. Oh, God, help me in here. And I know we've been feeding him. I know we have. How you know? Because in Genesis, he's a serpent. But in Revelation, he's a dragon. Somebody's been feeding him. 
Stop feeding him. Oh, I'm running out of time. Hallelujah. Let me get to the next one. Next one is the wood. The wood. Oh, God, I like this one. The wood. Hallelujah. Now, before I even give you, before I even get, let me just start here. How many of you know that a piece of wood is nothing more than a, a dead thing? When, when Moses is carrying that staff, that staff is a dead stick that has been severed from its source until God gets in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so watch this. Here is the challenge of the scripture because he tells, the prophet takes wood and lays it down because the wood is going to help kindle the fire in order to burn the thing that don't want to burn. God help me in here. How many of you in this place know that there are some parts of you that are stubborn? You don't got to say amen. Don't make me come down there. I'll come down there. Listen. <laughs> stop pointing people. No, stop. I'm, I'm teasing. Um, there are parts of us that are stubborn. Stubborn. They're, they're, oh, God, have mercy in here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God said, watch this. Take what's already dead. Put it on the altar because I'm going to use that to help kindle the fire that's going to burn the thing in your life that don't want to die. And sometimes you just got to put a praise on the altar. Sometimes you just got to thank God for the thing he already killed. And put the thing he already killed on the altar to help kindle the fire to burn the thing that don't want to die so it can die. I wish I had somebody in here that would take about 30 seconds and just put a praise on the altar right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I put a praise on it so you can take this thing in me that don't want to die, this thing that I keep struggling with, this thing that I keep fighting with, hallelujah, that don't want to go away, God, I praise you. It was the word that was crucial for the burning. It was the word that saved Noah's family. It was the word that housed, watch this, the law of God and contained it so it would not affect us. How many of you remember the Ark of the Covenant? It was made out of wood, right? It housed the presence of God, but it also housed, watch this, the tablets of stone. Right? The golden pot of manna and, and, and the rod of Aaron that did not bud. I know that sounds like a lot, right? This might be a little too deep for, for a Sunday. Hallelujah. But those are all indicative. Amen? The law is indicative of God. The, the pot of manna is the bread of life. That's Jesus. And the rod that budded, the fruit, that's the Holy Ghost. Oh, God. The Godhead bodily in that one ark. The Bible says that when Jesus walked on the, on, on the earth... He walked in the full Godhead bodily. I ain't got time to get into all that. Hallelujah. But here's what I really want to show you. Did you ever notice what would happen to anybody who would open the ark and look inside? They would die. You want to know why they would die? Because the law was in there. And according to the scripture, the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. 
Religion don't set you free. It binds you. Paul called the law, watch this, the ministry of death. This is why, watch this, the same way that ark contained the commandments, hallelujah, and kept them, kept them from affecting you, Jesus came. As the final ark, hallelujah, contained the law in that he lived it fully and perfectly, carried it and contained it, went to the wood with it. So that it would not have his effect on you. And when you should have died for your sin, hallelujah, he took your sin and he contained, he contained it so that it would not affect you. And somebody just missed a good place to take a little praise break, hallelujah, because the only reason I'm here, hallelujah, is because of what he did on that cross. Are you blessed in here, church? Oh, I'm... The cross needs to be central if revival is going to take place anywhere. Amen. The wood, it has to be central. Ah, the, 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 the suffering and the, the breaking of the body of Christ has to be central if a revival is going to break out anywhere. Let me give you an example before we, oh, I wanted to give you one more. Watch this. Let me give you an example real quickly. Hallelujah. So you remember Jesus resurrects, right? We talked about this on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus resurrects, amen, uh, and he, his disciples are hiding for fear. They're scared because they think that the same way they killed Jesus, they're not going to come and kill them. So they're hiding in a room, right? And they're scared, scared for their lives. And you know what Jesus does? He comes in the room and he doesn't use the door. He goes through the wall. <laughs> Could you imagine? So let me just say this to you. When he did that, that only scared them more. That didn't relieve them immediately. Watch, 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 watch. When he did that, they got more scared. And then he said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Look at my side. Look at my hands. Watch this, watch this. They got startled. And then he said, Peace be unto you, but they didn't receive it. So then he had to show them his scars and his hands. And then the Bible says, and then they knew it was him. And then he said, peace again. And this time they received it. In other words, the reception came when they saw the evidence of the brokenness. God, I'm in here. Because the brokenness is paramount if you're going to revive if you're going to get your strength back the cross has to be. let me give you another example before I close let me give you another example how many of you remember the two uh, disciples that are walking down the road to Emmaus are you getting something the 9 a.m. they didn't get you they're gonna get they didn't get they're gonna get mad at me watch this the two the two are walking to Emmaus and they got their head down because Jesus got crucified so according to them he died he died right so they're walking they got their head down and Jesus shows up. I love what he does. He, he shows up, but he comes in a different form. And, so, and he says, what is this that you walk and you are sad? Why are you sad? And they looked at him and said, are you the only person? Are you the only person out here that doesn't know about what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? How, how he was supposed to be uh, this. Watch what they did now. They said, a prophet. Because this disappointment will always lower your expectations as to what God has for you. Wow. 
Got it. Watch this. Before he was the Messiah, but now they're disappointed. And so now their expectations are lowered. Now they say he's a prophet. Well, okay, okay, okay. So, so watch this. So he's talking with them, and uh, they're so intrigued by him that they say, hey, man, you need to, like, spend the night. You need to stay with us, or at least stay for supper. And so he stays with them, and here it is. The Bible says that they're getting ready to eat, and he breaks the bread. The Bible says that when he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. And when their eyes are open, he disappears. That's a bad guy right there, I'll tell you. Their eyes open, he disappears. Now, here's, you, here's what you got to catch. Their eyes open in the breaking. I'm preaching better than you saying amen, hallelujah. The, the breaking has to be central if you're going to come alive and if you're going to see correctly, watch what they said. Did not your heart burn within you? That's revival, baby. When he spoke to us, it has to be central. If there's going to be a revival. Somebody shout the wood. Let me just give you a little bit of the last one and we'll leave. I promise, I promise we'll leave you now. The bullock. The bullock, oh God, the bullock. Um, here's what the prophet does. The wood is down now. He's going to put the sacrifice on the altar. Watch what he does. He cuts the bull in pieces. In pieces, right? And then he puts the whole, watch this now, the whole bull on the altar piece by piece. I hear God telling somebody in this place, why are you only giving me some pieces? I want all of you. Oh, God have mercy. I want, I want all. The cutting is necessary. Because the cutting speaks about order. I wish I had time. I wish. He cut it and started putting it up there in pieces in a certain order. Let me ask you a question. Is there order in your life? Because you serve a God of order. And you can't be asking a God of order to bless disorder. Are you in this place, church? You know what the Bible says? No, nobody likes this. So Hebrews, Hebrews, I think it's uh, somewhere around chapter 11. Anyway, the Bible says, whom God loves, he chastens. He, ch he chastens. Why? Why does God discipline? See, everybody thinks, oh, it's, 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 punish it's punishment. Can I help you in here? God don't discipline for punishment. God disciplines for position. When God disciplines you, he's not punishing you. When God's disciplining you, he's positioning you for more. <laughs> Let me give you an example and we'll leave. The Bible talks about, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Right? When you read the parables of the vines and the branches, here's what you're going to find out. God wants you to bear fruit. 
right? And the Bible says real clearly, watch this, that God will take you to fruit, more fruit, and eventually to much fruit. But before you get to much fruit, here's what happens. You go from fruit, more fruit, pruning, much fruit. Watch, watch, watch. We're talking about cutting. We're talking about cutting. The cutting is necessary to position you to bear more fruit. I reward, you're not going to like this, but it's the word of God. I reward everything that's growing by pruning. I reward everything that's growing by pruning. Because you get fruit, you go to more fruit. But in order to position you to hold much fruit, I have to prune you. To position you to hold more. So you... You don't need to be upset about the things he cut out of your life. If he cut it, it needed to go. I'm positioning you. I'm positioning you for more. Ooh, if you bless our glory, play something for me, guys. We're going home. Listen. If you go to that text where it talks about the, the, the vine and the branches, he'll even go as far as saying, abide. Stay there. Abide in me and let my word abide on you. If you really read it, he'll even go as far as saying, but you're already clean. I wish I had time. Watch this. He'll say, but you're already clean. Watch this. And he's talking about by the washing of the word. Why? Because if you let it, my word cuts. My, my word is a double-edged sword that cuts. That cuts. So watch this. We, we think that the chastisement of the Lord is for punishment, but I'm telling you, it's for positioning. And even though it may not feel good at the time, I'm looking for peaceable fruit. Go check it. Go check it. It's about fruit. That's what I'm looking for out of your life. And so watch this. We're thinking to ourselves, oh, that's why I'm going through everything I'm going through right now. It's just God punishing me. Let me help you understand something here. Sometimes it's just you. Ducking God's word while it's trying to speak to you. And God is saying, I'm, chast I'm coming at you with my word because if you let me, my word alone will cut. And you're going through stuff you don't even have to go through. But you're going through it because you're ducking my word. Are you blessed in here, church? Did I do all right today? Give God a praise in this place. Stand to your feet.